0: If you have your Bibles, please open them to the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, will be our scripture reading for this morning in a message I have simply entitled, The Parable of the Talents. The Parable of the Talents. This is a parable, simply a story which illustrates spiritual truth, and this is a story that Jesus told To impress spiritual truth upon his disciples' minds and by extension upon our minds and hearts as well. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version translation of Holy Scripture. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is. God's Word. The life of a restaurant critic must be a very interesting one. A restaurant critic, or a food critic, as they're called, goes to a number of different restaurants. He or she samples different types of food. The critic then writes reviews and media publications which influence people's opinions about that restaurant. It must be a very Interesting life. What I didn't know about the life of a restaurant critic is the lengths they will go to in order to guard their anonymity. Some critics will use fictitious names, some will even wear elaborate disguises in order to remain unrecognized as they travel and eat at certain restaurants. From the critic's point of view, they don't want preferential treatment. They want to experience the restaurant through the eyes of the average diner. But from the restaurant owner's point of view, they want to identify and spot the restaurant critic. They want to give that person the best treatment possible in order to obtain the best review from that writer's publication. From this, I would make a general observation. How you serve is closely related to who you are serving. Even in the restaurant business, if you know the person you are serving is a very important or influential person, it compels a certain manner of service. And friends, what is true in the life of a restaurant business is also true of the Christian life. How we serve is closely related to who we are serving. This is why the Bible when speaking to the subject of Christian service, not only describes the characteristics or the manner in which we should serve, but Scripture emphasizes the person whom we are serving. It's as simple as Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, where the Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, you are serving the Lord Christ. Brothers and sisters, this morning I want to bring you an encouragement from God's Word. That it is a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning that our service to Christ is motivated by who He is and what He has promised to do. We will see this message in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30, and we'll see this parable unfold for us in three distinct events. Event number one is the assignment of the Master. The assignment of the Master, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, we're in a section of Matthew's gospel known as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. He is speaking of the events which concern the end of the age and his second coming, his glorious return to this earth. The Olivet Discourse is given in response to a question which was asked by the disciples in Matthew 24, verse 3. The disciples asked, tell us, When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In response to that question, Jesus answers, saying in chapter 24, verse 36, concerning that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus is speaking to His disciples about His second coming, His glorious return to this earth. And the disciples want to know about dates and times. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus shifts the focus from predictions about dates to the issue of spiritual readiness. The question is not, when is Jesus coming? The question is, are you ready for him to return? Chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So to illustrate the need for spiritual readiness, Jesus tells three parables, starting in chapter 24, verse 45. There's the parable of the drunken slave in chapter 24, verses 45 to 51. There's the parable of the ten virgins in chapter 25, verses one to 13. And then there is this third parable, the parable of the talents, in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. So, this is a parable about the return of Christ. It is a parable designed to teach the disciples the need for spiritual readiness in light of who Jesus is and what he has promised to do. So Jesus says in verse 14, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. We're introduced here to the main character in the story. The main character is called a man in verse 14. He is called a master in verse 19. So this man, this master has three servants. And it appears from this parable that the master in the story is a very wealthy, a very rich man. He has a large amount of money which is represent, represented by the talents in verse 15. It says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. We note here the language. The servants in this story are called his servants. The property in this story is called his property and the fact that the master has this number of talents to distribute to his servants testifies to the wealth and the resources of this master a talent was simply a measurement of weight like a pound or a kilogram some estimate that a talent would have weighed about 80 pounds and so you could have a talent of gold or a talent of silver or a talent of copper. But in general, a talent of precious metal in biblical times is estimated to have been worth about 6,000 denarii. And a denarius was the average wage of a day laborer. So one talent would be the equivalent of the value of 20 years wages of the average laborer in Jesus' day. Two talents would be the equivalent of 40 years' wages and five talents, the equivalent of one man working for 100 years. This master must be a very wealthy man. And verse 14 says, He called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Verse 15 says, He gave to each according to his ability. Now, this speaks to the master's personal knowledge of his servants. He knows their capacity. He knows their abilities. He knows how much they can handle. And the distribution of talents here, five to the first servant, two talents to the second servant, and one talent to the third servant, this distribution is not random. It is an expression of the master's wisdom. Verse 15 says, after distributing his wealth, he went away. And verse 14 describes it as going on a journey. Now at this point in the story, we're introduced to a lengthy time period where the master is physically absent from his servants. Verse 19 is going to say that he is away for a long time. And the question is, what are the servants going to do in the master's absence? What are the servants going to do with all of this wealth that they've been given to steward? What are they going to do with these number of talents that have been entrusted to them in the master's absence? Now, students who are in high school and in grade school this morning, can I ask you this? What would your class be like if your teacher only showed up on the first day and then said, now I'm going to go away for a long period of time? Would you and your classmates, would you be more inclined to behave in class or less inclined to behave, knowing that your teacher is going to be gone? You see, the three servants in this story would have faced a temptation to be irresponsible in the time period where the master is away. They would have been tempted to say, look, the master's not here. Look, we have all these talents. No one is checking to see what we are doing. This would have been a time period where they would have faced temptations to be irresponsible. But it was also a time period that gave the opportunity for the servants to demonstrate faithfulness. So that's the first event, the assignment of the master. Let's move quickly to the second event in the parable, which is the actions of the servants the actions of the servants. How do the servants act once they've been given these talents? Look at verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. Now this, friends, is an encouraging description of a trustworthy servant. This is a description of a servant who is devoted to his master. You will note the word in verse 16, at once, which could also be translated immediately. This servant receives this number of talents and he immediately gets to work in trying to improve the master's fortune. This servant is not given to procrastination. At once, he took the five talents and traded with them. Now, evidently, this is a servant who is devoted to his master. The servant has not been given ownership of these talents. He's been given a stewardship of these talents. The servant has no ownership of the profits that are going to be made in the master's absence. And yet this servant is eager to serve. This is a picture of enthusiastic obedience and heartfelt devotion to the master's cause. Verse 16 says he traded with the talents, the Greek word ergazomai, a word referring to an energetic type of working. He invested the money, he strategized and planned, he took risks and made a profit, he took those profits and he made more profit. The time period between the master's departure and the master's return for this first servant is a time period marked by industrious investment. And the result in verse 16 is he made five talents more. Now that's a great return. That's a great amount of profit. Show me any investment today that promises a 100% return on funds invested and I'll show you where you should be putting your money. First servant was given five talents. He earns five talents more. What about the second servant? Verse 17. So he who had the two talents made two talents more. Now I have to pause at this point and just say something here. I really like this second servant. I think this second servant has a lot of encouragement and instruction for us. Friends, have you ever noticed in the Christian life that no matter how you are serving the Lord, or how well you're doing, there's always someone who seems to be doing it better than you are. (laughs) I mean, sometimes in the Christian life, we can feel this way. No matter how well I speak, someone does it better. No matter how well I serve, there's another person who does it better than I can. There's always someone in your life who seems to have more talents than you've been given. So here's this two talent servant. He's looking at the five talent servant. And he could have spent the time period between the master's departure and the master's return stewing in envy and jealousy. Why does that guy get five? And I only get two. Or maybe this servant could have faced the temptation to feel inadequate compared to the servant with the five talents. I mean, he has twice as much, more than twice as much as I do. I can't serve my master as well as he can. Or maybe even the two-talent servant could have just been so busy admiring the achievements of the five-talent servant that he doesn't get busy with what he has been given. You know, there's some people who are just so gifted at serving Christ. We're so thankful for them, thankful for their ministries. We rejoice in how God has blessed them. But sometimes we can become so preoccupied, just admiring other people's service that we fail to be faithful with what we have been given. I love this second servant. I love his attitude. He's not paralyzed by envy. He's not overcome with inadequacy. He's not sitting there admiring the one with the more talents. He just gets busy with what he has been given. So verse 17 says, So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. That's 100% profit. It's not an equal result, but it's an equal rate of return. It's not an equal amount of money, but it's an equal amount of faithfulness. That's been demonstrated with what he's been given. This servant with the two talents is a model of faithfulness. He's an example of an attitude which says, I may not have been given as much as others have been given, but I love my master. And I'm going to serve him with what I have. This brings us to the third servant in verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went. And that word went, it means to go away. It means to separate. So there was a separation between the third servant and the first two servants. And verse 18 says, But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, why on earth would a person do something like that? Well, in those days, hiding something in the ground was a way of keeping a valuable possession safe. This servant is thinking, I'm not going to lose this talent. If my master comes back, I'll know where to find it. This servant operates out of fear that he will lose what he has been given. As a result, he plays it safe. He takes no risks at all. The servant does not waste his talent on the other hand he does not invest his talent there's no potential for loss there's also no potential for gain he simply buries the talent in the ground and here's a observation i think that is helpful because this servant buries his talent in the ground he now has a lot of unoccupied time between the master's departure and the master's return. I mean, how long does it take to bury something in the ground? And yet there is this long time in which the other two servants are engaged in trading their talents. And we see event number one is the assignment of the master. Event number two is the actions of the servants. Now before we get to our third event, Let me just pull you out of the story for a moment and make some application to our context and to our lives. We live, Hope Bible Church, we live in the time period between the Master's departure and the Master's return. Our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He lived and He died and He rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, and He has promised to return to this earth. We live our lives looking back to the first coming of Jesus Christ in faith in all that Christ has accomplished for us in His life, death, and resurrection. And we live looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ when He will come to establish His kingdom and His rule and His reign upon this earth. In this sense, we are like those servants whose master has gone away. We have been entrusted with his property, his resources, what belonged to him. We are his servants. All that we own, all that we have, all that we've been given belongs not to us but to our master. We are stewards of the time and the resources and the abilities which belong to the Master. And not all of us have been given the same stewardship. But all of us have been given something to steward for the Master's purposes and for the Master's glory. And this passage teaches us as clearly as possible that there is coming a time when our Master will return. And when the master returns, he will require an account. How did we use his talents? How did we steward his resources for his kingdom and for his glory? And the question is not, when is my master coming back? The question is, am I ready for the master to return? And so we have the first event, which is the assignment of the master. We have the second event, which is the actions of the servants. And that leads us to the third event in verse 19. And we'll call this third event the assessment of the service. The assessment of the service. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We note here that the master is gone for a long period of time, and we know that Jesus Christ has been gone physically from this earth for at least 2,000 years. The word settle here is a commercial term meaning to look at the books the master will expect a return on investment for the talents he has entrusted to his servants. How do they use his talents to further the master's purposes in the time period when he was away? Now, you remember the first two servants? There was a servant with the five talents, and there was a servant with the two talents. And these two servants have been really busy. They have been ergodzimai and energetically working and investing, and planning, trading, doing business, using all that they have been given. And for these two servants, this day, the day of the master's return, is a day of celebration. It is a day of joy. Look at verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you deliver to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, what a beautiful word of affirmation and praise. Well done. One word in the Greek, a word meaning excellent. Some have translated this word using the interjection, bravo. The master expresses his joy in the servant's faithfulness. The master expresses his joy in the servant's fruitfulness. Now let me ask you this question. What kind of master is this? What kind of master is so wealthy that he has all of these talents? And yet he lavishes his servants with praise and affirmation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Is this not a gracious master described in this passage? Is this not a generous master described in this passage? Is this not a master who has a kind heart? The great expositor Alexander McLaren said this of our passage, the master pours out his approval in no grudging or scanty measure, but with warmth and evident delight. His heart glows with pleasure and his commendation is musical. With the utterance of his own joy in his servants. Well done. Well done. And then the master commends the servant's character. Not good and brilliant servant. Not good and popular servant. He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Reliable, trustworthy, dependable, faithful. That is the character of the servant. It's a great day. That would be good enough for me. Wouldn't that be good enough for you? Wouldn't it be good enough to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, to hear those words coming from the master? You don't really need to say anything beyond that. But this master is so gracious. This master is so kind. He says to his servant in verse 21, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Wow. This master must be wealthy. that he would call five talents a hundred years' worth of wages. Just a little. I've just given you a little. Wait till you see what I'll trust to you. I'll entrust you now. Friends, I believe the millennial kingdom as well as the eternal kingdom will be a time period in which God's people will serve him and the reward for faithful service in this life will be greater opportunities for service in the next what will be the opportunities to serve the lord in the next life be I don't know specifically I do know that whatever we were given in this life will be called a little in comparison to what we will be given in the next Verse 21, the master says, enter into the joy of your master. That's the supreme reward, the greatest happiness. Not only to share in the master's service, but to share in the master's joy. This is a great day for this servant. What a day of celebration. What a day of rejoicing. This is the day that the servant has longed for in the long period in which he was waiting for the master to return. And dear friends, is this not the hope that fuels our present service to Christ? Do we not long that day to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant. We say, Dan, of course, that servant was commended. I mean, he had five talents. He was the top producer. He was at the head of the class. Is there any hope for the servant who had the two talents? Verse 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, and notice the language in verse 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me ask you this. Is there any difference between the words used to affirm the two talent servant from the words used to affirm the five talent servant? Is there any difference between the words spoken in verse 23 when compared to the words spoken in verse 21? Dear friend, let this truth encourage you this day. The servant with the lesser amount of talents in the story gets the same words of approval as the one who had more talents. Can I really get the same Words of commendation for my service to the Lord when the other servant does it so much better than I do? Can I really receive the same words of affirmation from the Lord when there are servants who are so much more gifted than I am? Brothers and sisters, this passage teaches us it's not about how much you've been given. It's about how faithful you are with what you have. And the one who has more and the one who has less can demonstrate the same amount of faithfulness with what they've been given. A number of years ago, I was transitioning out of a ministry at a a local church I dearly loved. And on my final Sunday there at the church, I was given the opportunity to say thank you to a number of members at that church And there was a couple at the church, you wouldn't know who they are, and I would tell you their names, but I don't want to steal their heavenly reward. But this couple, they were an every Sunday type of Christian, if you know what I mean. A 52 Sunday a year type of Christian. This couple ran the refreshment ministry of the church. At that church we called it the donut ministry, because let's face it, the donuts were the best part of that ministry. And every Sunday, this couple would bring the refreshments. I was told the husband woke up at 4.30 a.m., arrived early each Sunday, and set up the refreshment table. If they ever were on vacation, I never knew about it. Week in and week out. Month after month, year after year, dependable reliable this was their service to the Lord and they served God's people by bringing the refreshments and on my final Sunday at the church I said this from the bottom of my heart I said it is Christians like you who are my spiritual heroes faithfulness faithfulness It's what it's about. Serving without fanfare, serving without recognition, showing up every week, being the one that others can count on. And, dear members of Hope Bible Church, I've not known you long, but I've known you long enough to know the spirit of that kind of faithfulness is present in so many of the members here at this church. You teach the children. You care for the infants in the nursery. You greet new people in the visitor center. You serve the food. You serve the communion. You vacuum and you clean up after service. You pray. You encourage. You disciple. You teach. You counsel. You open your homes in hospitality. You provide security. You lead us in worship. You run the sound. You put up the slides on the screen so we can see the lyrics and worship the Lord together. So much more I could mention. But week after week, Sunday after Sunday, you, the members of Hope Bible Church, you show yourself to be faithful servants. And yet our words of appreciation can only do so much. One day our gracious master will return. And I long for that day when I pray that the members of this church will hear the words we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. This brings us to verse 24 of our parable. The conclusion of the story. There's one more servant who needs to come forward. Verse 24, he also had received the one talent came forward. Now you remember this servant, he buried his talent in the ground. He didn't waste the talent, but he didn't lose the talent, but he didn't do anything with the talent either. This servant spent the time period between the master's departure and the master's return largely unoccupied with a lot of free time on his hands. And verse 24 says, he who received the one talent came forward. Now it's interesting because it's almost as if this servant doesn't know what to say. He's buried the talent. He doesn't know how to explain it. He doesn't know how to account for this long period of unoccupied time. So he ends up opening his mouth and revealing his true feelings. He blurts out a criticism against the master. Now you may not like your boss, but it's probably not a good idea to say that to his face. This servant reveals his true feelings toward the master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Skleros in the Greek, the word means hard to the touch. Master, you are a hard man to serve. Now let me ask you, is that, is that an accurate view of this Master? This master has been so generous and so kind and so lavish with his praise. Is it true that this master is a hard man? See, this third servant, he doesn't really know the master. He doesn't know the master's true character, the master's kindness and his grace. Verse 24, the servant says, you are reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. All you want is the profit of other people's labors. You just want them to sow and scatter the seed and then you're going to come up and take the profit. The servant views the master as a harsh authority. He says in verse 25, I was afraid. This is a fear-based relationship with the master. I went and hid your talent in the ground here you have what is yours. At least I didn't lose it. At least I still could find it. At least I didn't spend it. I put it in the ground and now here it is, but there's nothing to show. For all the time, the master's been gone. Verse 26, this master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. The master uses the servant's words against him. You knew that I reap what I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Under Roman law, the maximum rate of interest was 12%. It's not a 100% return on investment, but it would have been something to show for all of that time. In verse 28, the Master says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can I put it as simply and as clearly as I can? This third servant, this third servant in the story, this third servant does not represent a Christian. This third servant represents an unbeliever. This is an unbeliever. How do we know that? We know that for the simple reason that Jesus describes this person as going to the place of outer darkness. This is a New Testament description of the judgment sinners will face in the eternal fire of hell. Matthew 8, verse 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew thirteen verse forty-two: Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty-four, verse fifty: The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The contrast in this passage is not faithful believers. Versus unfaithful believers, the contrast in this passage is between believers who love and know the Master and unbelievers who may have an outward association with the Master but who have no evident love for the Master. Even as the disciples listened to these words on the Mount of Olives that day, there was one of them among them who was not truly saved. Judas, who would betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver, a servant outwardly associated with the Master, but who had no true devotion to the Master. If you are not a Christian this morning, the word gospel simply means good news. The gospel is simply this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, if you confess, With your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of us have sinned against a holy God and deserve the wrath of God because of our sins. But Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man, died as a substitute for our sins at the cross at Calvary, fully satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf. On the third day, he rose from the grave so that any who would believe in him would be forgiven and have eternal life friend, you can know today that you are going to heaven if you repent of your sins and place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And friend, if you are a believer in Christ, I encourage you to think long and hard about the character of your Master think long and hard about the kindness and the mercy and the sympathy of the Lord Jesus Christ, our gracious Master. That you may be motivated to serve Him because you love Him. Because you know He is worthy of our devotion and loving service great preacher C.H. Spurgeon had a long and fruitful ministry. His sermons are still read and quoted to this day. In his first sermon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in 1861, Spurgeon declared what he would be focusing on in his ministry. He said, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house shall be the person of Jesus Christ, the sum and substance of the gospel, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. 30 years later, after a long season of faithful ministry, in 1891, Spurgeon preached his last sermon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And with a wisdom and sobriety that only comes with age, Spurgeon said this, Every man must serve somebody. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains, always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. If there's anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, you will always find it in Him. His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once. Friends, Jesus Christ is a gracious Master. I pray that you will serve him with faithfulness and with joy. And I pray that you will hear on the day when he returns. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that our master is so gracious. We pray that we might serve the Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us with an everlasting love, that we may serve with faithfulness and with joy. We pray that you would make us faithful with what we've been given. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would impress these truths in our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.